Jason, who you know as Pyrrhic, and yes, Jason, you did not get Lady Gaga this week. Uh, do you by any chance, I, I can't imagine you would know what that was. No clue. Okay, that was from, and I'm about to confess that I actually own this, that was from the soundtrack to uh, Fast and Furious 3, Tokyo Drift. I take it you're not familiar with that particular work of music. I'm not. <laughs> well, you are now. <laughs> Uh, Jason, thank you for hanging out with me today. You post as Pyrrhic, which I don't even think is spelled correctly. It's P-Y-R-H-I-C. Like there's a Greek dude named that, and I think you're missing an R or the H is in the wrong place. Or what? Yeah, Why? There's, Pyrrhic. there's two R's. Uh, or there's supposed to be two R's. Um, long ago, I was you know, fishing for an alias. Like this is, I guess when I started going online, I, I was playing chess with my dad. Uh, I just moved uh, across half the country and, you know, we wanted to play chess. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I need an alias. And So I was thinking of something and I couldn't think of anything. And I was a big fan of war games um, at the time. Been a big fan of games forever. And there was uh, the, the Pyrrhic victory um, was something that I'd seen a lot in this um, one of the war games I was playing. And I thought, you know, that's a really cool concept. Once I read it up on it, I thought, that's a really kind of cool concept, really kind of cool thing. And, and it just struck me that that would be a great alias. And But I really hated the two R's, so I got one of the R's. And, uh, and uh, you know, I got kind of a, a really cool alias that, you know, some people dig and get and, and understand where it's derived from. And other people think I like fire. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that one. That's right. Uh, now, uh, so you just hate Greek. You hate the twin R's in Greek, I presume. Uh, I didn't know twin R's were a Greek thing, really. I just figured, I don't know, I just figured the guy had two R's in his name. Now, let me ask you this. Isn't a Pyrrhic victory actually a loss? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's an unsustainable victory, essentially. It's kind of uh, it's kind of like a bit of tactical irony, maybe, or strategic irony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a tactical victory, maybe, but a strategic loss. So here is another one that I'm just going to throw at you, because you, you brought up war games, and this is one of those things like Pyrrhic victory that I think I only know from war games and reading about, maybe from the Iliad or, or something, but do you know what, uh, this is like a Pyrrhic victory, do you know what a Parthian shot is? Hmm. No, I don't, I don't think I do. Unless you're talking about, like, a drink or something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to add one of those. <laughs> That's lovely, yeah. I'll have a bartender give me a Parthian shot. <laughs> no, so Pyrrhic victory, of course, is a victory that you've, uh, that you've achieved, but you've sustained too great a loss to, to really make it worthwhile. It was a victory that uh, cost you too much. Costly victory. A Parthian shot... And again, it's named after 
I, I suppose Parthia was a place, like one of those districts or city-states or whatever in ancient Greece, but it's the act of firing like a ranged weapon while you're in retreat. So that, that's another one that uh, that well, it goes up there with Pyrrhic victory for me. Uh, kind of like kiting. <laughs> you know, very good. Very good, Jason. <laughs> Did you just out yourself, by the way, as a World of Warcraft player? Is that is kiting from WoW, that term? Or does it predate I, Yeah, I think it predates it, doesn't it? I, I mean, in first-person shooters, you would kite bosses. Well, That's it, good. Wasn't, it wasn't, quite, wasn't called quite kiting, but you would do this, you know, uh, circle strafing, which is the same thing. I, I love how we've taken these ancient Greek concepts and given them our own words. Kiting, wow, <laughs> that was loud, Jason. I gotta, we gotta look up that uh, shot thing and see if it really is uh, a drink, because that would be an awesome drink. If it's not, it should be absolutely. <laughs> we should, we should coin that term ourselves. Uh, all right, so Jason, tell me a bit about yourself. You mentioned before we started recording that you were an analyst for Google. So what does that mean? Because when I hear analyst, I think of that uh, Michael Pachter or Adam Pachter. I can't think of the guy's name. The guy who's always uh, making up stuff about what's going to happen in video gaming. Uh, are you kind of like that for Google? No. Um, <laughs> I work in a very conventional sense. Um, I, I deal with real estate transactions and real estate in general. Mm -hmm. So like any you know, large corporation, uh, Google has offices around the world, and you know, uh, and like any corporation, there's there's people that you know need to you know procure space or, or get rid of space, and that's kind of my function is to you know do the analysis of what's good and what's not good, and uh, and support the team and, and get us really cool and funky space. Okay, so my uh, gamer brain, when you describe that, I imagine you. Uh, almost playing a strategy game over a map of the world and like okay we want to it's like corporate machine that Stardock game you're like okay we want an office here but we don't want one here this would be a good idea here but not over here uh, that probably happens not on my level uh, I, I'd be a lot more tactical than that um, but I do see a lot of gameplay in the stuff I do um, it, a lot of the things I do is, is Excel and I, I'm extremely Excel focused and I like to uh, build Excel sheets that are very user-friendly that I can pass off to a director or anyone and just say, you know, here is the model, and it's a functioning algorithm, you know, and it's got places for you to tweak. And, you know, I don't think something should go back to, let's say, an analyst. If You know, what happens if we adjust this percentage up, uh, you know, a percent and a half? I like to kind of put the tools in people's hands and, you know, here is a kind of a working viable model and go play with it mm -hmm. and you know building it accordingly that they you know you can't mess it up <laughs> and I, I just see a lot of a lot of things that I see in games from user interfaces and just you know the, the kind of responses that you'd like you, know, you see in games and I kind of put them in, into the sheets um, so like you have things like dynamically changing graphs and you know all this really probably dry dry stuff but for me it's I, I just like Dealing with it. <laughs> sure. It, it's a way, it, like a game, I imagine. It, it's like presenting information can be an art. Uh, and then there are ways to adapt it to the people who are going to be receiving the information. Uh, mm -hmm. So, great. Now, how did you come to get this job? How did you come to be an analyst for Google? Um, I guess it's, um, wow, a lot of luck. <laughs> Just yeah, just happened to be kind of in the right place at the right time. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, 
people get jobs. It's just you know you, you happen to be right. talking to the right person who needs a you know needs a position. You have the right kind of skills. Uh, they were looking for someone with you know some some pretty hardcore Excel skills mm-hmm. um, and some pretty broad computer skills. And you know I just really you know filled that that role. Now, when you got the job, did you already live in the Bay Area, or did you yep. move there for the job? Okay. No, no, I already was in the area. Is that where you're from? No, uh, originally from Toronto. Ah, you are a Canadian. I am. Uh-huh. You don't sound super Canadian. I'm not sure I would have outed you. Uh, <laughs> what brought- I, I try to avoid the, I try to avoid the uh, telltale words. <laughs> Tell me that you're going to be out and about around the house. Right now, say, I'll be out and about around the house, and try not to say Canadian. I defy you to do it. Go. I'll be out and about and around the house? Wow, you can't do it. You absolutely can't do it, Jason. Do you want another try? I said the same thing you did. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I'm sorry if this sounds like I'm making fun of you, but I really enjoy it. I want you to once again say, I'll be out and about and around the house. <laughs> out, and, out and around the house? <laughs> okay, that, that's enough. If you ever want me to say anything... I swear could, to God I'm saying the same thing. I, I love that you believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard so many times, yeah, but those are, that's like... The tell, apparently. I I can't say those two words. Busted. Uh, (laughs) What brought you from Toronto to the Bay Area? How did that happen? Actually, uh, it's my wife. Um, She was living, we went to school together in Toronto, Mm -hmm. uh, University of Toronto, and she was from here. And I kind of followed her. First, I went over to Vancouver because... Um, we had a long-distance relationship for a while, and it was kind of untenable. It was real, well, not untenable is the wrong word. It was really, really hard uh, across time zones. Um, <laughs> so you worked out the whole latitude part before. <laughs> exactly, and then I had to work on moving south. So I went over to Vancouver for a number of years. Um, and then move from Vancouver down to the Bay Area. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the United States, like if the, the world is laid out on a grid, and you are allowed to move diagonally, just for future reference, if it ever comes to that. <laughs> uh, so you moved to the Bay Area for a girl. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and she was a keeper, I presume. You're still married? Yep, still married. Uh, what does uh, Mrs. Jason do? Uh, she's a sales manager. Uh, works with uh, computer hardware. Mm-hmm. And uh, where about in the Bay Area do you guys live? Um, Milpitas, which is kind of snuggled between Fremont and San Jose. That, by the way, is one of those words that I see and I'm never quite sure what I'm seeing. Like, it's such a weird arrangement. There's an M and a P and an L and a T in there, and I don't know if it's Mitlipas or... I mean, that's just a... That's a weird word to me. Did you have any problem getting used to it, or did you just sink right into it? No, I, that seemed like a normal word. I don't know. Milpitas. Uh, and I, do you love living in the Bay Area? Because I can't help but imagine that it's an awesome place to live and that most people who live there appreciate it. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. The, the only thing I, I probably miss uh, from being uh, Canadian is that the, the threat of winter in the fall. Um, you know when the it just starts getting cold and it, you know, you know you know the fall is ending and winter is coming that that month mm-hmm. uh, before it gets miserable it is about the only thing I miss because the weather here is fantastic everything else is fantastic it's, you know apart from the earthquake kind of thing yeah. <laughs> did you did you uh, have you felt an earthquake recently like have you had your turn with an earthquake um 
Yeah, maybe a couple months ago there was like a four point or something that I felt. Do, do they bother you? Um, not like they used to when I first came here. It the the whole concept was fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know the thought that any time, any moment, the the earth could shake. And the first time I felt one, it was like I remember I was walking outside and it was like, did that just happen? Did am I having some sort of you know flashback or something? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, now I'm pretty well okay. Um, I, I love them. I look <laughs> forward to a, you know any little tremor, and most of the time, like like you said, they're over before you even realize they're here. But on Easter Sunday, uh, we had just the most awesome like 20 second gently rolling kind of earthquake. Like a lot of them start with a bang, but I my my favorite earthquake was that that just gentle rocking Easter Sunday. There was something oddly maternal about just the earth saying hey i'm gonna i'm gonna rock you for 20 minutes it's not gonna be anything too severe uh just a little reminder uh i love that i was in um i was in vancouver in a high rise when there was that oh i want to say there was a big earthquake i don't know was it in spokane or maybe or outside seattle mm-hmm. this would be the late 90s and uh, I, I was in the building, and it was so, you know, the building shifted. It was like you were there, and you could feel the building sway. Mm-hmm. And that was a really uncomfortable kind of sensation. This idea that a building might fall on you, I can't imagine. Yes, that, that does tend to ruin the enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't even think the building was going to It was just that it's, buildings are generally, especially when you're in, like, a corporate office tower, which I was, you know, it was like 20 or 30, you know, 25 floors. It's just... Pretty, it's a pretty solid thing, and so mm-hmm. when suddenly it just starts moving, and you can feel it moving, it's it's really disconcerting. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned this was like '98. I my theory is that, well, at least for me personally, I have to say post 9/11, I ha- have a much more vivid concept of a building falling on me. I, I think before then. Like, I know what it looks like. I think we all do when a building falls on somebody. Uh, and before then, I'm not sure sitting in an earthquake that that really would have concerned me so much. But I can't help, like, if I were in a tall building or if, if I was in a really powerful earthquake, you know, I've got those pictures in my head of what it's like when a building falls on you. So, yeah. And even I was... Um I guess our building, or we had to have like a certain number of you know health or you know safety people on each floor, and I was one of the safety people, and so you know we got briefed on like the kind of things to do if there's a you know where you direct people to go and what you do, and you know close the doors and you know count to make sure everyone's out that kind of thing. And uh, you know one of the things we were told is you know if there's an earthquake or anything like that, try to keep the people inside, don't let them go in the streets. Um, at least until, you know, the, you know, you have to use your judgment, of course, but you don't want them out in the streets. And it's, it, what was told to us is because of the danger from falling glass and stuff like that. Like if a pane of, you know, glass breaks out of a building, the building's probably not going to fall. But that glass is just going to be like a grenade when it hits, you know, 20 floors down. Right. So, and, you know, there, even during that earthquake, people were coming up. It's like, oh, should we leave the building and, and go, you know, muster outside? It's like, no, no, just stay here. You know, the building's going to be all right. Have you ever been around tornadoes? No. Tornadoes also freak me out. Kind oh, of. tornadoes are awesome. So I went through a thing. So <laughs> I grew up in Arkansas. And Arkansas, just a few, uh, about a week ago, was just hit by a whole series of tornadoes. We get a whole mess of them down there. But I went through a, a stage where... 
early on when I was a little kid, my mother would freak out whenever there was a, so you have escalating warning levels. You start from like severe weather watch and then severe weather warning and then tornado watch, which just means the conditions are ripe for a tornado, and then tornado warning, which means that somebody in the county has spied a funnel cloud. Um, and at the watch level, which is just where tornadoes would be, you know, the conditions were favorable, my mother used to make us all go down, me and my little sister, and we would go down in the basement and have to sit in the freaking basement until the the watch was lifted. I mean, she was just so, uh, not paranoid, because they are dangerous, but she was just, I think she overreacted a bit. But then by the time the warning, it was that we would go down there with a little radio, and when it escalated to a warning, we would have to get underneath a mattress. Like, and, and as a little kid, it creates in your mind this feeling that, holy crap, a tornado is about to land right on top of me. Uh, so my mother was just so overcautious about that, and I guess that's part of what mothers do. But as I got older, I got less scared of them, and I got to the point where when it was a tornado warning, which is where a funnel cloud has been spied, instead of going down to the basement, I would be up on the roof looking for it. <laughs> it was sort of like, you know, I'm not scared of this. I just want to see it. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about uh, earthquakes now. Here's one I would really love, Jason. Have you ever been in a hurricane? See, no, and that's the that's the hurricanes I like because they're kind of, whereas tornadoes are this kind of chaotic, you know, freak that just you know comes down and you know rips a whole section of housing or, or you know things apart, and it's really really terrifying. Tornado or hurricanes are, you know, they're they're plotted, they're coming in, they're very very kind of organized, <laughs> and you can sit there and you know, board things up and prepare for them, and and I really like you know wind and you know just storm in general yeah. um and so i thought it would always be kind of neat to be in a hurricane but probably people from down south and and you know have very different opinions of that i think it would be especially neater if you weren't like if you didn't have property you had to worry about <laughs> like a hurricane would be a great place to visit wouldn't want to live there kind of deal <laughs> uh all right so uh, aside from natural disasters let's talk about uh, you, and I, I fully support this, by the way, you didn't want to use your last name, uh, which is great. That's totally fine. Let's talk about anonymity on the Internet. So on quarter to three, we have a fairly small community. A lot of people like to use their full names, and some people don't. Uh, and I understand both sides. What makes you use a pseudonym on quarter to three, and, and how do you feel about whether or not people know your last name in a situation like this where strangers might be listening. Uh, yeah, uh, my biggest concern about it is this... Uh, how, do, how to say this? The kind of corporate-level investigating that goes on. Like, there's a lot of things. I don't, I'm not, I don't go out of my way to be, uh, you know, an asshat or anything like that online. I don't really provoke people or troll people, but... You know, occasionally, like everyone, you know, someone pushes my buttons and I'll, you know, say something that's inappropriate or do something that's, you know, just, I, I'd regret later on. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the thought of someone, you know, let's say two years from now doing a search and connecting, you know, me, you know, the the person with that, with the alias and saying, oh, well, you know, you, you called this guy an asshat and, you know, you raged out on me, totally freaked out on him, and, and, you know, and taking, I guess, things totally out of context. Mm -hmm. in, in sure. 
And so I'm really, really careful. So I have, you know, Pyrrhic is kind of the alias I use all the time. It's, I don't really have other aliases. Um, and I keep it, I, I take great pains actually to keep it separated from who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that there's no real connection between the two. To such an extent that, you know, there's, I have a separate, like, say, gaming email address, which I'll use for things like, you know, um, registrations and stuff like that, things that are non-business related. Um, and then another one for, you know, you know, business and another one for personal stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, you know, it's so easy for me as a guy who just, you know, I'm a freelance writer. I make a living basically associating my name with with ideas and opinions, and, you know, the people who hire me encourage that. And, and it's fair, so it's fairly easy for me to say, yeah, I'm going to use my real name. Sometimes I'm going to be a dick online. Sometimes I'll be a nice guy. But, you know, warts and all, Tom Chick as a name online, that's out there online. You know, that's, that's sort of down for posterity. And with what I do for a living, that's totally cool. Uh, but I can completely understand someone in a more corporate environment uh, who has very different concerns coming from the people who employ him. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I, 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 by the way, I... I think there are plenty of people, like I, I encourage folks using their real names online because I think there's also a sort of accountability that comes into play, but not everyone has the luxury of allowing for that kind of accountability for something as kind of pedestrian as talking about video games. Uh, yeah. so. um, and for the longest time, I have to say, I thought I thought your name was, you know, uh, a pseudonym. <laughs> what, the, what the heck kind of crappy pseudonym would that be? I don't know. It's not- <laughs> I'm like, it couldn't possibly be his name. Known <laughs> the plume or something. It's just, uh, and it was funny because the first, I think the, it was the first recordings that you did of these, um, and you pronounced your name. And for it, for all the time that I've seen your name in print, I never really heard your name pronounced. And I just assumed it was like Schick. <laughs> like French. And I had such a problem when you, you know, that's Tom Chick, and I'm like, no, it, it can't be Chick. It, it just can't. I just, it, and I still, I'm gradually getting over this. It's like this 12-step you know, process <laughs> that I'm going through. Realize that your name is actually actually Chick and not Chick. I, I go through that every day, Jason, when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I can't believe my name is Tom Chick. Oh. <laughs> talk about the game you're going to talk about in a minute but before we do you're like a huge shooter fan aren't you like you play first person shooters a lot don't you i range um recently i play a lot of first person shooters um and i would probably say like back forever 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 i i was rpg guy and i was uh strategy wargaming guy and those were kind of the bread and butter and things i love to play you know this is um, 80s and 90s kind of thing, um, and I really didn't like shooters. I didn't like. I didn't really care for Doom. I didn't really care for, you know, the the first uh, Wolfenstein's and you know things like that. I just it didn't really. And I started branching out, and I would go through these phases where I get tired of RPGs, and I start playing RTSs, and then I think it was with uh, Unreal Tournament, and I really started getting into first-person shooters um, and just really online in general, and. and 
in um, a broader sense because we would at work we'd be you know done work in, in a corporate environment this is that office tower and what we do is you know we'd have all these extra computers I was in the IT department and you know after work we'd set up servers and you know we you know a bunch of us 10 12 of us would just go and play mm-hmm. and it was really really awesome playing you know a land game in the sense um, that I was just, I had never been to like a LAN party or, or anything like that. So this was my first exposure to that for all the time that I've been playing you know, computer games. Um, and from that, it's just been gradually growing. I mean, I played BF42 tons, um, probably I would rank in my top five games. Battlefield uh, 1942, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's I, part of like, that was kind of the 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 debut of that of Dice's gameplay model wasn't it? I mean back then that was such a revelation. Uh, mm-hmm. Now everybody's doing that kind of thing, but yeah, I remember just you know that that knocked my socks off. How cool that whole new mode was. Yeah, yeah, and there was they they brought a bunch of different things. Like uh, there was still a lot of things missing from it, but I mean you could you could fly a plane and there was all sorts of different planes and five different countries and you know you could play different roles or tanks or jeeps or submarines or you know you could drive around in an aircraft carrier there's there's very few games that scale kind of like that you know you could uh, pick up an aircraft carrier and you know drive it into the enemy's island and pop out and shoot them with you know <laughs> um it, it so it had that really kind of cool scale to it and i guess just from that it's um i've yeah, I've been playing a lot of uh, first-person shooters. Probably lately it's Left 4 Dead and uh, uh, <laughs> air quotes around enjoying um, Bad Company or <laughs> Bad Company 2. Okay, tell me why you're putting air quotes around enjoying Battlefield Bad Company 2. Oh, there's a lot of laggy kind of issues with that game. Um, Technical <laughs> or design issues? Yeah, it's something of a love-hate relationship. Um, and there's just something of a love-hate relationship with, like, me and, and Dice in general. They don't know it. They're they're not part of it, but, you know, I, I definitely know. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't know I exist. Um, <laughs> they might. They might, Jason. You never know. <laughs> it might not be, like, unrequited, unrequited love-hate. <laughs> so it's just it's things like, you know, when, if you have, like, more than 12 friends, it... it won't let you join the 13th uh, friend on their server. Um, it won't, like, see that friend. They'll see that friend, and they'll tell you, oh, they're on here, and you'll, like, click to, like, join their server, and it's like, oh, can't find the game. And, and isn't that such uh, isn't that like that's such an inveterate problem with dice? They, they continually screw up all the stuff outside the game. They have these great designs... And everything, I think it was it was Sal Accardo, who was an editor at GameSpy for the longest time, uh, once said of one of the Battlefield games, uh, something, and I'm going to butcher it, because it, it, the way he put it, it was so elegant. He said something like, I love, oh, rats, he's, oh, I'm going to, but it was something to the effect of, I love everything about Battlefield 1942, except the stuff that isn't the game. He had a far better way to put it, but it, it was basically that their games are great and all the stuff outside of the actual game when you're not in a match, they just can't get that right. It's sort of like, why can't you guys be more like Bungie? You know, just look at what Halo is doing or something and do that because you have these great games and there's just continual frustration when you're outside the games trying to get in. Yeah, well, and a perfect example, I think, is, you know, you think of, you know, UT had that uh, feature in the game, whereas if you don't have the map, 
and you join a server with that map, it'll start downloading the map yes. for you. Yes. Battlefield? No, 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 it can't be done. No, it's got to stop there. You, you see an error screen. You, you know. All right, you know, come on, guys. Uh, I guess server, you know, this kind of thing isn't. Uh, I won't say that. That's a mean comment. It's disparaging people. Well, it's part of. I I understand. When you have a, when you have a love-hate relationship, you say things you might not mean to hurt what you love. <laughs> uh, I want you to do me a favor, Jason. I want you to sell me on Left for Dead. I, in theory, love Left 4 Dead. I love what Valve is doing. I love how much character they give the games. Uh, I even love the, just the basic design, the game design with the infected versus the survivors. However, every time I sit down to play Left 4 Dead, it just runs roughshod over me. I mean, I, it, partly because they're not slow zombies, partly because of the way that the infected sort of have different ways of trumping the gameplay mechanics, uh, partly because I'm just not that good at headshots, not that good at shooters. So when I think about Left 4 Dead, I love that game. But when I've played it for a little bit, I'm like, I, this is not for me. I can't, I, it's not, it's too fast. I'm not good enough. I don't know what's going on. So what is my problem? What do I need to do to better appreciate Left 4 Dead? Well, are you playing with, like, People, or are you playing single player? A little of both. I have a, a land uh, gathering every week, uh, and when I can, I talk some of them into playing Left 4 Dead with me. None of us are serious players. We're all very casual. Uh, we'll, we'll beat our heads against uh, one of the campaign modes. We'll get to the end and get killed. Uh, and it's, it's discouraging to a lot of us. So, so do you think that's key? Do I need to be jumping into a quarter to three group with someone like, uh, I think it's, is it, Pogo or Jab eight seven four two nine one six or yeah, there's a couple yeah, of don't, really really yeah, don't, good don't jump into a random game with Pogo. <laughs> is, he, is he too good? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I love your hemming and hawing just as I'm reading between the lines. What are you and hawing about? No, Pogo's fine. He's uh, very dedicated to the game. <laughs> That's a that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, no, by, by the way, go the, ahead. The, the people in the quarter three Left 4 Dead group are just all awesome. Uh, I like taking uh, jabs and pokes at Pogo, um, but it's it's all in good fun. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, it's and there's there's huge caveats here because I think Left 4 Dead is better in a multiplayer kind of versus environment than it is in in campaign mode. <laughs> But the huge caveat is it will, as a new player to it, it's not very, very friendly to you, um, especially if you're grouping with people that have a lot of experience. Um, and we we see this right now, actually, a lot, because there's a lot of veteran players in the in the quarter three group, and there's a lot of new people because of the sales and the new DLC that, that came out. So there's a lot of newer players, and balancing that out can be a very frustrating kind of experience. Um, you know, you, you play the game, and you know the maps, and you know the places where you know you should be or shouldn't be, or you, you know, you kind of know the problem areas. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you, you know, your team, you struggle in there, and you know, you get ambushed or whatever, and you've got one guy on your team that can save you, but he's never really played the game before, and he's like wandering off somewhere, and it's like, over here, get over here, get over here, over, over here. <laughs> by the car, by the freaking car. I've heard that and I've said that many times. Yes. <laughs> what other car do you think it is? It's the car. The car. We're all dying here. It's, you know, it's just the kind of stress. It's, it's Left 4 Dead is a great game, but it's 
<laughs> there's a certain it's almost like this uh, angst or rage um, machine <laughs> depending on who you play with um, so it, it's and I don't think it's for everyone there's a lot of people who play it there's you know it's totally uh, asymmetrical um, asymmetrical yeah um, and it, it's not for everyone and it's kind of a small environment you're playing four on four and it's really unforgiving if like one part of your team is a lot weaker because uh, an experienced team can really take apart um, another team if just one person is kind of doesn't doesn't know as much or, or makes a couple mistakes and that's all it takes in Leopard Head because it's know, almost like you're you're prodding at the fabric looking for that one loose thread and then it all just you know falls apart in in two seconds. <laughs> Very well put. Very well put. And, and you know, there's no, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's no sort of ranking system. Like, if I just join a random game, there's nothing to determine that, hey, I suck at this game, uh, balance me out, or match me with other people who suck at this game. Is there? Yeah, I thought they were supposed to be putting that in, but I, I agree. I haven't seen any evidence of that. And, and if anything, it's, it's probably the opposite. Like, if you go into group play, like, you get four, you know, four buddies or three buddies together, and the four of you join a team. Um, and you hit that, you know, play as a group, you're probably going to get your ass handed back to you in, like, several pieces. Right. Um, because people that, and, and this is, you know, I've played two, and I would probably only do that and, and do that uh, functionality with three other people that were really good with the game. Because the times i played and, and played that way, it just tends to be stacked with people who are really, really good at the game. You know what that makes me think of, Jason, and I, I think you might know this if you've gone through an RTS phase, but that level of intimacy where you have a small team, so therefore each person's contribution is that much more significant as opposed to something like I've been playing a fair amount of MAG, and MAG lets you have 132 players on each side. So if I suck at MAG, there are 131 other people who can take up the slack for me. But mm -hmm. if I suck at Left 4 Dead or if I suck at a team-based RTS uh, where there's maybe, you know, three or four people on each team, uh, then it's just that much more frustrating and my lack of contribution is that much more conspicuous. Yep, uh, yep. So. Yeah, and it's it's you see it a lot in, in actually a lot of different games now from from WoW and raiding. I mean, the smaller the group, oh is, yeah, yeah, the more important you know each individual person is, and the, and the smaller um, I think the range of error um, that you're allowed because right. you, you you just don't have that slack. You can't build that slack into the game. Right. All right. Well, so my takeaway point from this, Jason, is that I should give up on Left 4 Dead 2. <laughs> I think you should. Do, I think you should come out and, and try uh, versus with like right now in particular. We've been getting maybe 20 people at times uh, in the in the chat channel, and a lot of them are newer people. Um, so it'd be, it's when you have that many, it's actually not as hard to balance the game out because you can say, oh, you know, if you can have um, right, you know, two less experienced people per side. It's really really difficult when you kind of get one less experienced person. And, um, well, it's like you said, you know, finding that, that thread that you can unravel. And as long as each team has one of those threads, that's okay. Because uh, yeah. that's, how, that's how it goes here at my house on Thursday nights. You know, it's sort of like, okay, this person's skill level balanced against this, so they're on separate teams. You, you sort of, like, make two piles and then make them both the same size, and, and then they're fine. Yeah. And sometimes Left 4 Dead is, is kind of funny because you can have teams that look solid on paper, 
but just don't have the chemistry. Um, where you sit there and you're like, you know, these are these are all good players on this side, but for whatever reason, they don't play well together. Uh, you know, right. you have different styles. You have you know people that might be more run and gun, or people that are more cautious. And all you need is that separation. You know, if you don't have that co- cohesion, then that's enough of a thread that a, a good, you know, uh, team can take you apart. Right. Right. Uh, before we talk about your game, I, I wanted to bring up something you mentioned earlier. You uh, said you play chess online with your father. Yep. Do you still do that, or have you been able to segue your father into video gaming? Because please tell me you've at least tried. Um, he was actually much. He was. We used to play a lot of war games together. Ah. Um, we used to do kind of like a hot seat of um, what's that series called? It was V for Victory, I think it was. I don't know, yeah, yeah, series. like it was a hex-based... Uh, yeah, yeah, really, really a, good one. Like atomic a, series. Those yeah, atomic, yeah, 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 yeah. That's and so cool. Your dad is cool. Your dad would play that with you? Yeah. Oh, oh, he, was, so well, he was the one who got me probably into a lot of gaming. He used to try um, those paper war games, you know, that you would buy at... God, I don't even know where you buy them anymore. I remember this one he used to have for, like, the Battle of the Pacific, and you you just need like this 20 foot long table to hold this map <laughs> like you know it would just unfold and it would have like all these counters and be like aircraft counters and you know um it would be like you know uh grigsby's version of war of the pacific but on paper with like you know these analog anyway chips and stuff so he used to be into that so we kind of I, I, you know, when I started getting into computers, I was like, oh, you know, we can play this on, you know, together on, on just like hot seat on the computer. So, so we would play that, and we always used to play chess. And I've tried to get him into some other games recently. Like I told him, you know, if you want a kind of broad exposure to uh, some some modern video games, and uh, a good place to start is the orange box. You know, you can play through Portal, which is ah. a phenomenal, you know, kind of puzzle, sh- puzzle. Um, I don't know what you call it, first person. I think puzzle pretty much sums it up. Puzzle yeah. with a very clever, well-written story. Yeah. yeah, and you can play through like a first person kind of um, uh, narrative in, yeah, first person narrative in uh, episode two or whatever the the episode was that I think it was episode two uh, and then you've you've got like Team Fortress which is you know says enough it's a fantastic little package um, so he tried that out and he tried um, he tried Half Life and he was like eh not really sold on I'm like you just load up Portal and, and give that a, uh, a whirl because that's just incredible um, so I've tried did so but Portal didn't even take Portal didn't well tell? he hasn't he hasn't tried it yet so, okay. Uh, by the way, I love your dad. That's cool. <laughs> uh, so, have you tried to sell him though on any like more strategy game things? We've talked a little bit about it. I wanted to get him into Warplan Pacific, mm-hmm. um, but I really couldn't make the sale on that. I'd like to really give that one a shot with um, people. I liked it playing it single player, but I really couldn't find the community. And that's got played by email too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried to sell them on that, and we've tried a couple of things, uh, a couple of different war simulators. Well, if it if it helps, Jason, tell him that uh, Tom Chick, professional game reviewer, uh, recommends it to him. Okay. Tell him I said that. <laughs> uh, have you tried to get him to play Pirates? No. Interesting. No. 
you might give that a shot. Uh, now, why would a shooter guy like you, uh, who's into apparently like serious strategy games, why would when you're uh, asked, hey, what game do you care enough about that you would want to like talk about for a half hour? Why would a guy like you pick a little mini game collection like Pirates? <laughs> well, um, actually, I'm just referring to the original Pirates, uh, which <laughs> had a lot less mini games. Um, <laughs> it is when I saw your your kind of request for series, I, a number of games popped in my head, and, and probably the top five games that you know I just enjoy so much: Mule, um, Torment, Battlefield, and. Oh, there's another one I'm missing. And, and Pirates is one of them. And they're, they're kind of all vastly different games. And it was just... i, I got to talk about Pirates. I, I think it does things that a lot of other games don't do. Um, I was listening to your podcast uh, last night uh, with Atherin. And you mentioned something that made me actually really happy there. Is, is You mentioned RPG um, with it. And, and you, know, you thought it was kind of an RPG. And I, I don't think I, I could agree with you more. It's, it is probably more of an RPG than most RPGs um, in the way that you can, you can be what you want to be in this game. And probably the most fundamental thing in this game that very few games do and a lot more games should do is the world exists. Um, it's out there and exists and it doesn't stop. So, you know, you can't just, like, go and collect all the, the little gizmos around the planet and, you know, time has no meaning. In this game, time has a lot of meaning. And, you know, if you're captured, you're spending months in jail, and that's, you know, your health goes down, and you're losing that kind of precious time. Um, you might be in a, an ideal situation where, let's say, if, you know, three factions or, or everyone's at war with Spain. So, you know, every time you attack Spanish targets, everyone's like, you know, just loading you with cash. And so time at that that particular juncture is extremely important. And if you find yourself, because of choice, removed from places where, let's say, you're, you're way off in, um, I don't know, northern Florida, and there isn't very many Spanish ports there, by the time you kind of get back down to the main, that opportunity is gone. So it presents you with a lot of these choices that you have to make, Um I think I just meandered all over the place. No, you know what? What that makes me think of, Jason, is uh, it, it's not – you mentioned time, but it's also, like you said, it's space. Like like time matters, so therefore geography matters. So therefore this place, you know, the, the whole Caribbean and the difference between being in Florida or Haiti or on Cuba, like all of that matters. Uh, right. and, and that's something, for instance, that I think gets lost in a lot of games – like Oblivion, where you can just fast travel somewhere. I right. love that Pirates doesn't have fast travel, and that Sid Meier realized that there's gameplay in the fact that I am a long way from this place. I want to be there. It's going to take a while for me to get there. Uh, and it, is it going to be worth it for me to, to right. get there? And that's a tough choice you have to make. I love right. being confronted with that rather than I'm just going to fast travel over there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes me think that, in a way... Pirates is, is, is very much a precedent to, to the model that Grand Theft Auto 3 eventually introduced, this open-world uh, concept. Yeah, I, and yes and no. Like, it is a vast open world, but the, the, the issue with 
or not the issue, but the, the limi limitation of Grand Theft Auto is, yeah, the world's there, and you can wander around it, but the world doesn't change. It doesn't, you know, you could sit there at, you know, Joe's Cafe on, you know, whatever street, and just sit there mugging people for 10 years, and the whole world stays the same. You can't do that in, in Pirates. Because time will pass, you'll get older, you'll get frailer, you know, you you won't, you, your life runs out. Uh, I'm guessing your life runs out. I don't know if I've ever died. <laughs> well, don't um, you but, lose, sta I mean, you're right, you yeah, get old and frail and, yeah. I think you're just forced to retire by the right. you know, ripe old age of 40 or something. <laughs> um, but it, it, you, go ahead. It doesn't have that, yeah, so it has that... Um, or sorry, Grand Theft Auto doesn't have that that sense that you know you're in a real place. You're you're kind of in this this section of of space that's frozen in time, and yeah, you can range through it however you want, but that section of space is still kind of frozen in time. Um, whereas I don't think Pirates has that kind of feel because you have cities like you can you know go to one place and you might be using let's say Eleuthera. Um, um, uh, I think that's I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, or Nevis, let's say. Um, you might be using Nevis as a base of operations because you're British, and you know that's the only British port during this period of time, and it's great. And you go away to, to raid the main, you come back, and you find that the French have taken it. <laughs> so now you don't have an English port, or your near, nearest English port is way the heck up in Florida. So you're confronted as a gamer with like making these choices of, you know, do I make another English port, or do I, you know, where do I go now to unload the things? And especially if you've already made the decision that you know I'm you know being a right bastard and I've double uh, betrayed the the French and I've betrayed the Dutch and the English <laughs> were the only faction that's that would still deal with me. And uh, now you've got problems, you know. <laughs> you know, it makes me when I hear you talk about that, Jason. It makes me really wish that someone who had all these amazing resources to create these beautiful open worlds, like like we got in GTA 3, and like we're now really seeing come into fruition with games like Just Cause 2, and uh, there was some great stuff with the tech and in, in, uh, Red Faction Guerrilla. Like, how come nobody uses this kind of engine or this kind of tech to make a game like Pirates that's built to be replayed in sort of short lifespans, relatively short lifespans, to see how well you can do, mm -hmm. where the world actually changes? Where right now, uh, like, living world just means a world with lots of activity. You know, there's lots of pedestrians and cars. And there's no real meaningful change in that world. And yep. games that do introduce it tend to do it through scripting, where you're going from point A to point B. You know, in Just Cause 2, you take over a territory, and, and you eventually do that to the whole map, and you beat the game. Or in Crackdown, you know, you drive the gangs out. There's no back and forth. Saints Row 2, actually, did a little bit of that where you would take over a territory, but there was still this idea that other factions were still active and they might try to take it back from you. But it would be so nice to have that level of, of, of malleable world like you got in Pirates in a fully realized 3D game like Just Cause 2, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'd love if, in particular, I'd love if RPG developers looked at this and, and grabbed something from this because... Uh, I used to be the you know the hugest RPG guy, and I'd love playing you know Baldur's Gate and the Gold series, the Gold Box uh, SSI games, and you know if there was an RPG that came out, I played it. Um, but 
I don't play them anymore because I realize that it's a very static. They tend to be very static worlds. Like, um, what was the latest one? Dragons. Dragon Age. Or, or yeah. Or Dragon Age Origins. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't pick that up, even though apparently it was a, a superior uh, RPG, just because of that kind of feeling that yeah, it's you know, in the games these days, your role tends to be carved out for you. You are the the hero, and you're going to save the kingdom or the dragon or whatever you're going to save. You're going to save it, and it's very it's you're on rails. Um, and they're designed for you to win. You know, you're they the they want you to win and be happy that you you know you experience this whole narrative. Um, what I think a, a cooler option for an RPG would be is here's the world and the game developer doesn't care what happens in the world. If evil wins, great. You know we'll have parties and you know whatever evil you know organizations do if they win the world. I, I don't know. Um, they probably have those uh, Aparthian shots, and everyone gets around them. <laughs> I think they just gloat and cackle and rub their hands together. <laughs> but, you know, it, it'd be cool if the developer wasn't kind of vested in what happened in, in the world. You know, the world can go, you know, to hell in a handbasket, or you can save the day, or you can be a merchant just sitting there peddling bread on the corner. It doesn't matter to the game. You choose your role. You do what you want to do, and, you know, and I like what pirates did and in, in the way they scored it at the end is you know you sit there and you do whatever you had to do, and then at the end of the game you're presented with the score, and you're like, "You have achieved the rank of like dishwasher, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I want it to be a dishwasher, <laughs> or you know you go down and you 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 know you uh persevere and you try new new things, and you'd be like, you know you are the you know bartender, and they, you know, eventually you'd be like, you know you're the vice duke, and I was like, wow." That's really, really cool, but you didn't know what the, at least in the original game, I think in the remake they put a cap on kind of what your limit was. But in the original game, I remember it being that you couldn't, like you'd just be presenting this title and you'd be like, okay, that's cool, but I wonder if there's anything better than that. You know, I'm I'm like, you know, captain of the uh, the royal fleet. I wonder if there's a better rank than, you know. There's this sense of, yeah, instead of going from point A to point B, it, it's like, you know what, try again, see if you can do better. You know, you don't finish the game once you've gotten to the end. Uh, yeah. And it encourages, you know, we're not done with you. Go back and try it again. See how you yeah. do can, can you do it better? You know, can you be, you know, can you get a better score? Can you accumulate more riches, more wealth, more stature? Can you do all that? Um, and, and that's a luxury that the developer has when, as you say, they don't care what you do. If the developer is creating a narrative, like in Just Cause 2, you're, you're liberating Panau from a dictatorship and helping it uh, navigate all these treacherous superpowers. And once you've done that, you know, that's what the developers want you to do. You've got to save Panau, this Indonesian country. If the developers don't care whether you do that, there's a whole new, there's kind of liberated from that narrative. Like yeah. in Pirates, you, I think, and I mainly remember the remake, but, you know, you're trying to save your little sister, I think. Uh, but the great thing, Fraxis doesn't care if you do that or not. You don't have to yeah. track yeah. down those ships that have the clues that get you to your little sister. I love that they don't care if you save your little sister. <laughs> it's an option. Yeah. You know what? And actually, yeah, you you go beyond like your sister. You have your whole immediate family. So part of this, um, I was like, oh, you know, I should before I go and talk about pirates, I really should. <laughs> Uh, you know, take my load little... up again, okay. and uh, you know, just so I know what I'm talking about, and it refreshes. Um, so I was like, I loaded it up, and I'm like, 
well, first thing, oh man, so like I get it all loaded up, and I'm like, all right, cool, and, and it goes start, and it's like CD key. I'm like, what the hell is CD key? Oh, wait, is this Pirates One or this? Or the this re- is no, no, this is the remake. Okay. And I'm like, wait, and it just pisses me off that people put the CD key on the manual instead of like the the jewel case, or in this case, it was like a paper case. <laughs> And so I'm like sitting there, I'm like, where's the manual? And I'm like digging through, and eventually I found the manual. It was just a real pain in the ass um, to have to go and do that. So I'm going in, and I'm playing, I'm playing the game, and I'm like, this is a fantastic game. This is, you know, I, all these things that I totally forgot about, like that, that they didn't have, I think, in the original, which is things like little things like, you know, you can raise your flags in battle or lower them in battle to, or, you know, um, like, basically put battle sails or full sails up, you know, and your trade-off is, you know, do you want speed or do you want, uh, you know, kind of um, defense? Um, you know, you have all these little different choices, and there's a lot of different ways you can go in the game, and that's uh, really, really, I think they did a really good job with the remake. Now, what, what do you recall, uh, how much do you know, because I only, I don't remember the original that well, uh, what are some of the differences between the original and the remake? So you mentioned those some of those choices you get to make. Well, the the, the mini games, um, right. which are mostly like uh, the sword sword fighting. Really, there was sword sword fighting in the original, but it was like a two D kind of you know side scroller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this one is just a lot more dramatic. It's I guess essentially the same thing. It's just you know that's made made more like Hollywood. Um, the dancing is entirely new. There's no dancing in the original? No, I don't oh. remember there being dancing. I remember you could, no, I'm pretty sure there was no dancing. Okay. Uh, you could talk to, you would get status by, you know, you, your ranks would go up and then you would talk and then I think you could, like, you know, do you want to flirt with the girl? And you'd be like, yeah, flirt with the girl. And it'd be like, oh, she's impressed and, you know, based on your status. But there wasn't, I don't think there was any kind of thing you had to do. Um to do that. Um, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking even playing this is that it wouldn't tell you in the original, you know, whether this was a pretty girl or, you know, so it would just be like, you know, is this, you know, I, I, uh, this is going to sound crass, but, is, you know, is this a desirable girl? And I'd be like, well, isn't that kind of subjective? You know, you know or brunette. So, yeah, I think the brunette's prettier than that blonde girl and it's like all right well no that was the blonde girl was the girl that was like you know the best girl that you can get and this one it's you know they still it's still somewhat subjective but they have the type in it as you're you know it's like the uh the governor's plain daughter you know, so like, oh i guess that's the plain daughter okay i won't try to dance with her then who wants to dance with the plain girl uh, yeah really i mean i have bigger ambitions than and the daughter of Tortuga. <laughs> Barbados. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, Go ahead, sorry. Um, and then the the absolutely horrible mini game of going through the town and like you know skulking through the town. Um, that's removed, or that that's that's totally added on to the uh, the new version. That's yeah. If I never have to do another one of those stupid stealth things, yeah. that's fine. That's just like oh god, I do not want to do that. Uh, so how how did you feel about the dancing? Because you know what, it's kind of uh, and I, I apologize for using this as a pejorative term. I did it last week. I'm going to do it again. Dancing dancing's kind of gay. I kind of like the dancing part 
to be honest. I just, you know, the, the it was, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, what I have more of a problem with is the kind of cutesy, uh, the talk and the, the just kind of, I don't know how to, the, the cutesiness of it all. The cartoony the presentation, cute. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, and that, the, the sim talk, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, bugs the hell out of me. Okay. In any game, it's just that, oh, you know, uh-huh. Do you know why they do that? Uh, I think so, just to fill in, uh, it, it's, well, I guess <laughs> I'm going to take a stab at they um, either can't afford or don't want to do, um, you know, full talking, and they want something to fill the, the gap. You know, I was thinking it would be kind of awkward if there was no sound there, you know, when these people were making these motions. And I was thinking, well, should that be, is it is it better that they have the, the stupid, no, not stupid, sorry, the um, <laughs> sim talk, or, you know, would it be better silent? And I'm kind of divided on that. Well, my theory, I'm, I, my theory is that I, I assume that it, it makes localization easier. They don't have to oh, separate sound effects for, for all the different yeah. Uh, markets. That's, yeah, that's true, too. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, also, what's uh, – I'm, I'm with you. Before, by the way, uh, as far as the gay dancing, I just want to say that although I acknowledge the dancing is gay, I love the dancing, and I am awesome at it. The dancing is, oddly enough, I mean, the ship fighting is great, and that's a huge draw, but uh, I always enjoyed the dancing in the Pirates remake. Uh, you didn't, uh, did you get the optional dancing pad USB port that you plug in and you can do the dancing on the... Now, I know you're lying about that. There's no... <laughs> oh, see, you know what, you you just had, you almost for a minute had me think, is he really, is there really something like this? <laughs> nice try, well done. Uh, I have played DDR, and I am not, I'm not good at DDR, I'm not terrible at it, but... I, I'm actually decent enough, I guess, at, at rhythm games for a guy who has no rhythm that uh, I, I do rock at the dancing. So even though it's really stupid, uh, I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I've so, never tried them. I think I'd be horrible at them. The DDR games? Oh, yeah. And I, I think I'd even uh, be more horrified if, if someone like took a picture of me or, or took a video of me trying oh. them. I think it would be just... Yeah, yeah, no, you don't want you don't want that. You don't want anyone. <laughs> that's the thing is, I'm good at the DDR games, but I just look like a retard. I mean, I look terrible playing them. I would not want anyone. I can I can do them, but good lord, nobody better look at me. That's just humiliating. Uh, but so I, I agree with you about the cartooniness. Like the cartooniness, I understand why they do it. They want to make it an accessible game. But one of the cool things about pirates is that they are ruthless and amoral and outside the law, and that they can kill people. And so I hate that in all the sword fights. You end up just like knocking someone over the head, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. It's like I was thinking that too. Just it's like, does anyone die? No, right. you kind of look completely bloodless, um, you know, pirates of the Caribbean, and yeah, yeah, exactly. You you fire a broadside of you know, twenty guns into another ship, and everyone just falls into the water. Yeah. <laughs> It's sort of like I want that master and commander level of realism where you're seeing the grape shot really shred the soldiers and you're like, I should have been causing grievous bodily harm with this. And instead, the little dudes are just flailing around in the water and they're going to be fine. Uh, With this game, and I think with a lot of games, is they don't... I think I'd love... I think I'd love... I'd love if 
developers put in almost toggles that you could, you know, choose these options or, or remove them a, a lot easier than you can. Like, um, I see this, I don't want to go back to Left 4 Dead, but, you know, to sit there and say, well, I want to play a game with no med packs. You know, this seems like a very simple thing that you could put in a side menu and just say, you know, customize your game and how you want it to play. Then you do it in, in, in Pirates, but, you know, do you want the, the cutesy sim talk on off you know well take it off you know do you want these things and just have check boxes and just be able to customize your your gameplay experience based on that i wonder how much of it is game developers feeling a little uh uh protective over the the gameplay balance they've created i mean an unreal tournament i think with mutators was one of the my first experiences with look how cool it is if you can tweak a value and if the developer really builds that in and really wants to encourage that. Uh, and, yeah. I, you know, and, and I do think Firaxis, they have a really good handle on how to balance that gameplay. And I think they know that, I think pirates might lose something if, I agree with you on the tone, like it would be awesome to have a more serious tone. But I love the interdependence of all of those mini-games. I love how they don't necessarily feel discreet in the sense of separate. You know, something you win dancing can help you in a sword fight. Uh, like, all of that ties together. And I get the sense that Firaxis very carefully crafted this interdependent system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they know that if we get in there and start tinkering around, we could easily break some of the things. So I just suspect a lot of designers feel a little protective about the systems that they create. Like one thing I think is, like, I guess a weakness I thought in in all of pirates is, you know, I don't think there's a real viability there for trade. I don't think, let's say, the trade mechanism is that strong, and it would be cooler if it was. Um, So, like, having that as a toggle of, like, you know, I want advanced trade, which might be, you know, maybe a little bit more sophistication in terms of what ports want and what ports need, um... And you know maybe a few different goods so to to make trade a lot more viable because in this game it's just I, I well at least I've never played it maybe you played it that way but I've never felt that trade was something that you could go out and I'm just gonna trade the whole thing I'm gonna be like you merchant you know, yeah I, I'm just gonna you know take my ships and be peaceful with one gun and I'm just gonna you know go around and I don't think you can really do that and uh, have this, have a game where you're not end up as a dishwasher right <laughs> that actually when when you said that jason i was like oh yeah there is there is buying and selling goods in pirates i forgot about that <laughs> uh have you just a quick plug uh i i stumbled across a fellow named uh is it ian bowles he posts his spelk s-p-e-l-k uh he mentioned a game called ancient trader uh have you seen this thread no it is basically do you play board games um no not not really Okay, well, Ancient Trader is basically pirates, but as a really sleek, simple board game with what what I think is some of the most beautiful artwork I've seen in a long time. Uh, So if you get a chance, look for that Ancient Trader thread. And I I wrote a post on it on uh, Fidget.com, which is a a blog that I do. So, but pirates, Ancient Trader is sort of like pirates distilled down to board game simplicity and trade and combat and exploration – are basically the three tracks of advancement. And they're very well. It's just a it's a beautiful, elegant, simple game. Uh, that when you mentioned trade, I thought of that because on the it doesn't change. It's not advanced, but on the board you can clearly see 
for each port, like what they sell and what they buy for what price. So there's a, a mini game like, okay, if I sail over here with this cargo, I can make this much. But if I sail over here with that cargo, I can make that much. Because uh, I, I love trading games, but part of the problem is how do you present the information you need without something that you would appreciate without forcing the player to go through an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. uh, for, for supply and demand at different prices. We, uh, one game that does phenomenal uh, job with this, and it's I don't think given enough credit for it, is EVE. I mean, it, EVE is... In a, a lot of regards, a, a really superior game. Um, but the, the thing that I absolutely love about it is that you can you can play a lot of different roles in Eve. Um, you can sit there and you can just be the, the the merchandiser that's going around, you know, basically looking for arbitrage deals, places where you know you can grab you know low value goods and bring them and sell them, or high value goods, you know, being sold at a low price and dragging across half the universe to sell them at you know a place where they're in high demand. Um, and you, there's all sorts of different ways you can um, just play the market. It, you could just literally not board a spaceship probably for the whole game and just sit in one one planet playing the market and actually have probably a pretty good time and then try to corner the market. And just I, I absolutely love that about that game that allows you to do that. God, EVE really is such an incredible development, isn't it? I mean, just what CCP has done, what they've achieved with that game. uh, It's a shame that it can be kind of hard to get into. uh, Oh, yeah. But, And I don't play... I've played it for a considerable amount of time, and I don't play it right now because it got... I I love that your death or your near death matters. I mean, things are, it's not like, let's say, wow, where, you know, you right. die and you're like, okay, I res and it cost me like, you know, five gold or ten gold, depending on whatever. And, but you're back in the plane, nothing has really changed. And Eve, you know, if you go out in your, your, your battleship and, you know, you've, you've earned a lot of money to pay for this battleship, in essence, let's say your, you know, half your capital is now vested in this, you know, hunk of virtual machinery that's flying around the galaxy and all of a sudden you wander into a trap and you lose that you've lost all that money it's not like the game's like oh yeah you know, here, here you go you get a free pass you can go in again <laughs> no you've just lost you know two months worth of you know mining or two months worth of ratting or, or whatever you were doing um, to, to allow you to build that ship and that got a little too hardcore for me in, in a way this is like yeah, you know, I, and so a lot of, let's say, um, low-sec space. And I hope someone, no one's talked about Eve in these yet, have they? No, we have it, not had an Eve player. We've, yeah. uh, we've not had someone who, I think we've had people who play Eve, but there's a fellow named Juan Rayo. Who, I was just about to say his name. I, I really hope he's he's uh, signed up for this. And I would love to have him on talking about Eve, yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if he is, but yeah, he's the guy who, whenever he posts, I'm like, oh, what is Juan saying about Eve? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Eve is one of those games, Jason, that I am so glad it exists. And even if I don't play it, I'm just so glad that it was made and there are people that play it. And I I love reading about Eve. <laughs> yeah. It, I just it, love that it, it's out there. It's the best game to read about. Yes. <laughs> but then you go in and it's like, you, you read these stories and it's like, yeah. And then you go in and you start playing and you're like, well... <laughs> When do I get to that part? <laughs> Where's all the cool shit? Does it, does it happen? Like, and yeah, you know, you wander into a trap, and you know, well, I don't think well, there's another guy there. Uh, is it Dave? There's another 
uh, guy that posted in that uh, that thread who's more of a pirate. I don't think Juan's a pirate. I think Juan's uh, like a faction kind of fighter. Um, but you know, you wander into like some sort of pirate trap, and it's like, you know, you get all your stuff taken away from you and, and stripped from you, and it's like, oh. I guess that's part of the adventure for someone else, you know. Someone else had a really good time. You know, it really is. So It's so funny that you mention that, Jason, because thinking about it, Eve is the perfect multiplayer representation of pirates uh, Mm -hmm. as far as that design and what happens if you make that kind of game and you just throw players together into that kind of framework where, you know, nobody cares about the storyline. There's all these activities. There's kind of an economy. You can pick your role. Uh, Eve is the multiplayer online expression of pirates, isn't it? Yeah, actually, that's uh, a really uh, close comparison, yeah. I didn't think of it before. Uh, so what are some other games that are like pirates that you would recommend? So, for instance, let me let me throw this at you. Did you play Darklands, the, that ancient microprose sort of mid No, don't right. think I did. It doesn't sound familiar. Wow, you don't even know about Darklands? <laughs> I no. Uh, Jason, okay, I'm, I'm putting a minus one on your gamer cred score here. Uh, <laughs> what, what about King of Dragon Pass? Or maybe it's Kings of Dragon Pass? I think I read a thread about that one. Um, that's like an old game that you can only buy in Australia with, or something like that. Pretty much, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that. I remember looking at that and somebody had started um, uh, a thread on that and I was like, this sounds really cool. And I thought, well, I'll just buy the game and yeah, you have to send like, you know, uh, cash to a foreign <laughs> post office box and six to eight weeks later right. she'll send you a code of where your game can be located at, you know. And it's, you know it's a little too shady for me. And that's a shame that that, because that, that was a very brave design and I think it holds up and it's a shame something like that isn't on, you know, like good old games or some readily accessible place like that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, by the way, so what are someone's options if they want to play the original Pirates? Do you know? I think emulators is pretty well the only like I used to play it on um an Atari ST is what computer I had then. Um and I there are emulators for a lot of those old um computers like I know Commodores and I know that I, I was an Atari guy through the eighties, so I had like an Atari eight hundred and an Atari um ST after that. And so Naturally, I, when I got my PC and got into the PC, I was like, oh, you know, found the, these emulators. And the emulators actually work pretty good. And you can play some of those those old games like Mule um, and what was Sundog. Oh, wow, wow. God, yeah, that brings back memories. Sundog was, was really awesome. I loved that at the time. Um, what was it, Dungeon Master, which was, I thought, was an awesome little dungeon crawl. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. But that's... That's I was gonna say I don't think I know Dungeon Master, but go ahead. Um, that was kind of a first person, like if you remember Eye of the Beholder or sure. yeah. anything like that. It was kind of like that where you take a party of four through the dungeon and it was just um very, very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And I remember like playing it like late at night, like at midnight or something, my parents had gone to sleep and I had the lights out and I just about it, it was this game where you actually had to remember a lot of the old games you had to worry about things like food and uh, you know you, so you had to in the Ultimas and you'd have to carry like nine thousand food because if you wandered through and you ran out of food you were like seriously screwed so you was like okay as soon as you got money the first thing you bought pretty well is like food so you didn't starve when you were moving ten feet out of the city <laughs> this was kind of like that and you had like food and you'd like find apples and cheese and stuff like that and be like oh great I found a you know this 
tangy melon. Mm, what a wonderful <laughs> melon. And But you'd also have, like, torches. So I'm sitting there wandering through, and I hadn't realized that, like, you know, I was running out of torches. In fact, I was on my last torch. And I'm like, holy crap, it's getting dimmer. And it's like my torch was running out. And, you know, you're in this dungeon, and, you know, the light's now going down. And, of course, you know, like any dungeon, it's built with, like, creatures and crap like this. And, you know, my light's getting lower and lower and lower, and it's night, and I've got, you know, no lights on in the room. And so I've got this very dim screen, and then this thing had come up beside me and, like, attacked me. And, you know, the audio was, of course, turned up because I'm stupid that way. <laughs> and I just literally screamed when it, it attacked me. And it was like this, ah! <laughs> it was this great kind of... Um, you know, immersion in the game. Uh, it was a fantastic game. Really loved Dungeon Master, but I think a lot. Of the, the only way you can play a lot of those old ones is um, is the emulators. And though you can play the game, you can't. You, know, you can't get the feeling of playing on like a 480 by 320 resolution with these monitors. It just doesn't scale that well. By the way, I think the tagline for Dungeon Master should be the game that made Jason scream. <laughs> There was a few. That was, that was that was one of them. Um, as far as your, your, your original question was about um, games I'd recommend or some uh, some like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one that I don't think is for everyone, but that, oh, it, it kind of has that same open world feel for me is um, Stalker and the Stalker series, and that's another game that I think could really like. It just needs it's. I love the open world concept and the atmosphere and just, you know, how kind of real this world is. And if they just added a few more things to it that I think would just, you know, take it right over the top, like just a little bit more maybe faction play between the different factions. You know, it was just one of these games where you can wander out and it's like, you know, you check. And before I go out of, out of town, it'd be like I check all my ammo, make sure I've got everything that I need, double check, make sure I've got the right ammo. And I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to go out of town. And you go out of town, and you're kind of a badass. And you, know, you come across these weird scenarios where you have, like, stalkers fighting bandits. And you make these decisions of, well, you know what? I'm just going to let them fight it out, and I'm going to loot the corpses of whoever's left. Or I'm going to take a stand and, and help this one stalker out against these three mutants. Or, you know, I'm just going to be a bastard and kill everybody and take everybody's stuff. Um, but you make those kind of you know, decisions as... as they come across, and I absolutely love that you know the world allows that. And you know, as you're wandering through, and you'd be like, all of a sudden, you kind of realize that, oh my God, it's getting dark out. And I don't know how much you played Stalker. I, I, I played a, a fair bit, like maybe the first third of it. Yep. So you, you probably recall like being out at night in Stalker, mm-hmm. uh, at least until you get like better, uh, better like night vision gear, better equipment, is something of a terrifying thing. <laughs> The night is not a friendly place to be wandering around in Stalker land. Right. Um, so it would be like, yeah, you know, I'd be constantly checking the time, making sure, you know, I have enough time to get back into safety. And I, I really love that kind of immersion in games. Um, but it's, admittedly, it's it's got something of a learning curve. Um, and it's tough. Like, it's not gentle on you. It's it's a game that will, uh, will, uh, take you back and hurt you if you're not cautious with it. It's like, I guess uh, an example of that is you start up the game, and most games have like this warm, friendly tutorial phase, right? Ah, right, right. <laughs> Stalker will like walk up to you and be like, you know, punch you in the teeth a few times, and then like, you know, if you make it through that, then hey, you know, you, you probably grow to love the game, and if you don't, you probably like delete it and never go back to it again. 
What I really appreciate that about that, Jason, what I wish more games would do is Stalker makes you so much more appreciate when you actually get good weapons. I mean, the feeling of actually finally having a good gun and just how powerful that feels. How, right. how it really is empowering, and you can't make you can't add that kind of empowerment into a game unless you have been weak for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know that that early weak phase where the game's punching you in the teeth. It's not just to frustrate you. That's that's ultimately to reward you for how it feels when that finally changes. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah, still when you, they do that. Yeah, when you finally get that that first gun, like I think you start off with like this crappy shotgun, right? And you're like, you know, you can't hit something seven feet in front of you, and it's like, god damn it! So you, you know, continually like hitting the reload button, reload, 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 but eventually you kill something, and that thing has like a slightly better gun, and it's like now I can, you know, and eventually you get up to these really kick-ass guns, and then you're like just pointing at things, and they're they're falling down, and it's like, you know, I'm now the superstar of the stalker world. Um, and that lasts up until the end when it gets really, really, um, <laughs> really uh, poor game design. I think at the end of the original Stalker. Really, what 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 screws it up at the end? Um, I think it's uh, well. Are we in like no? Well, I guess we didn't even talk about the game, so I don't know how we put a spoiler alert in here. Well, can you <laughs> sort of like be vague about maybe what screws it up? Um. I guess you can sum it up in these kind of randomly teleporting enemies that just, like, show up and snipe you with one-shot kills. Okay, right, right. You know, kind of these instant dents. It's like the... the Remember Doom Closets and, like, you know, suddenly there'd be a creature there that'd, like, snack on you? Yeah. Remember in the, the remake? And it'd be like, oh, great, you know, Monster Closets. Right. Fantastic. Glad, glad you added back, got back in. <laughs> um, this is, like, Monster Closets with, like, you know, Insta insta give weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like without even the closet. Like you would get yeah, to point and do Yeah, exactly. You pop open <laughs> this guy would be like, Bang, you're dead and it's like, Oh, for crying out loud, okay. Reload, okay, now I know where this guy is. So you go kill that guy and ten steps later, bang, another guy kills. Oh, yeah, this is really, really frustrating kind of game design. Now, up until you... that point. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, up until that point it's a fantastic game. Now, and that's only the sorry. <laughs> Yep, you go up until that point. It's a fantastic yeah. game, and, that, that's, and that's only really the original. The the later remakes, I think, refine and they don't uh, they don't do that. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So, uh, is it open open skies? Is that what it's called? Like what what did yeah. what did Stalker eventually become? Have you followed those? Yeah, Open Sky and called Pripyat is uh, right. the last one. Pripyat, by the way, is one of those words like Nopitas. I, I just my brain doesn't quite know what to do with that for whatever reason. But so have you seen Open Skies and Call to Pripyat? Yep. Yep. Um, Pripyat uh, Open Skies didn't do a lot for me. Um, I recall it's, it was a lot of kind of revisiting. It, it, it was kind of weird in that I think it was like one open area at the beginning that's totally new, and then after that you're like, I, I'm like I thought this this really seems familiar. And then I realized I'm playing on the same map as the original Stalker. It's just I started in a different spot, so I'm kind of like seeing oh. some of the same locations. And it's like, oh, that's kind of cheesy. Um, so that, uh, that didn't impress me as much. Pripyat, while covering the same kind of ground, is just different different maps, and it's much, much better game. It, it, my only complaint is that if, it should be a little bit larger, I think. The area should be a little bit larger, not like... You're starting, but there just should be more of them. 
Um, the original Stalker, there was some kind of cool areas that you can go in and be like, okay, you know, there's you don't know what's going to be wandering through this part of the city, so you you could go and replay that. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes there'd be like faction guys, and this it seems a lot more limited. There's really only one city section, and it's pretty sparsely populated, so you know, you kind of lose the replay value of going through that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I yeah, I think the as far as like my uh, open world shooters, like like I love what Stalker does, but uh, I, I think. I think that boat has sailed for me in terms of, uh, like, I've moved on. Like, what what is right now meeting my stalker needs? I, you know, if I were to sit down with, like, a, a, a long-term shooter kind of thing, I, I'm just such a huge fan of Far Cry 2. As far as, like, what things from way back when would I want to go back and pick up again? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love stalker, but as far as that kind of punishment, I'm not sure I have it in me to go back to that. Uh, There's, um, well, let's say... Did you play Borderlands? That's a, I love Borderlands. I'm still going with Borderlands. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great game for sure. I love that a lot. Played a lot of time with that. Um, Red Faction Guerrilla, I think, was another really good shooter last year. God, Red Faction Guerrilla makes it so like it so spoils other games. This whole idea of you know, I play Red Faction Guerrilla for a little bit and I see what effect my weapons have on buildings, and then I go play something else and it just it just feels so like rigid and canned when. And that's something I think the uh, Battlefield Bad Company 2 um, does very well is the destructible environment. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's, you know, when some guy's up in a, you know, a little hidey hole and, and he's sniping from it, and you're just like, okay, well, you know what? There's a, there's a better solution here than... Uh, <laughs> Rocket Launcher Trump sniper rifle. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just going to blow your little hidey hole to, to, to hell and back, and, and that solves that problem. Um it's it's great that the game does that. And so you you have a console system, right? Because you mentioned Borderlands. Oh, wait, wait, no, you could be playing that on a PC. I was I have been playing on a PC. Um, Actually, everything that you've talked about. Do you even have a console system, Jason? I do, but I don't really play it that much. I've got an Xbox. Um, so you're a diehard mouse and keyboard guy. Like, does it drive you crazy when you pick up a gamepad and try to play a shooter? Yeah. I don't know how people do it. Though I played, what was it, Crackdown? I think it was some people on the board recommended it as like an Xbox kind of must-play game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a great time with that. That was a fantastic game. Crackdown, though, is so helped by, like, they're so careful with their little auto-lock and auto-aim thing and, you know, shifting your aim to, like, somebody's head or, or the tires of a car. Like, Crackdown is so carefully built for a game controller. But in your recent talks, I'm starting to think that maybe I need a... Uh, a PlayStation between what was that war game you're talking about? Mag is it? Mag is the right. It's a shooter, uh, but it's 132 players on each, on each side. So that sounded really cool. And then there was that game you were talking about uh, several podcasts ago. Was it uh, Demon Souls? Is that? The yeah, one? you know that's got. You know, Jason, that's kind of got a little. I want to say pirates thing to it in that you set the pace, you do what you want. There's a story, but the developers kind of don't care if you're going to mess with that stuff. Uh, you know, it's more like a dungeon crawl, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, Demon Souls is, you know, there's the thing about Demon Souls, Jason, is that there's really nothing else like it. If you want to play a game like Demon Souls, that's your only choice, and you need a PS3, and it really is special and unique. Yeah. So, 
So uh, those two games have got me starting to think, like, maybe I need a PlayStation. And, you know, actually, you know, I could, I could yeah. use, what's it, Blu-ray or Bluetooth or whatever the heck. Blu-ray, yeah, if you want to. That's another thing. <laughs> so here's a Blu-ray player. Here's three reasons to get a, a PlayStation 3. Is that the Blu-ray player, once you start seeing things on Blu-ray, it's going to spoil, you know, regular definition DVDs. Uh, Demon Souls, there's nothing else like it. And Mag, right now, Mag is the only game that I feel sort of follows up on the promise of what DICE introduced and the scale that you could get in games like, like Planet Side and those joint ops games that Nova Logic used to make. Uh, there's nothing else like MAG these days. Does MAG have the, like, auto, like, you know, um, aim stuff? It does not. You know, it might have a very loose one, but, but MAG isn't so much based on... Uh, finicky aiming as sort of like what weapon you get. You can take a light machine gun and mag, uh, and you're going to get plenty of kills. Also, too, Jason, mag is such a target-rich environment in that when you have 132 players on either side, there's going to be so many people for you to shoot at who don't see you uh, that if you get a good position, it's not going to be like like a lot of battle field is you come around a corner and you see some other dude and he sees you and whoever gets the drop on whom or has the better weapon wins. You know, mag a lot of times is just firing into a crowd and hoping for casualties. Uh, you know, and you just don't get that in a lot of shooters. Uh, Do you, one of the things I liked about Battlefield, and I, it's funny because it's, I don't, I think they got away from this a lot, um, certainly in the, the recent iterations, is one of the things I loved doing in Battlefield was, you know, you, you play, let's say, as Ger- uh, German against uh, Russian, mm-hmm. and you know, be, you'd be running through, and at one point you'd get in the back line, you, you'd be behind the lines, and, you know, you run out of ammo, but you could grab an enemy's kit, mm-hmm. and if you grab, like, let's say, the Russian kit, you sound it like a Russian soldier. <laughs> So you realize the that. guns had the guns had very different. It's not like you would talk. Oh, oh, I see. Right, right, right. You would the, the guns <laughs> had different sounds. So if you played it a lot, you would sit there and you could pick up on the audio cues of like you know a gun that's firing beside you. And when you're playing experienced players, you know if you're coming around behind people, if you shoot them with a German gun, everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, you know, there's a German guy around here, you know. But if you shoot them with a Russian-sounding gun, they don't necessarily realize that. The, their uh, you know teammate has been shot by a guy that's three feet behind him. Oh, know, that is that, so cool! <laughs> and so I love playing that kind of mental aspect of, of Battlefield and like you know just picking up a kit and like okay you know it's the enemy kit and that's great it makes me sound like the enemy, and I kind of miss that because um, with the new Battlefield it's everyone's you know it doesn't matter uh, what side you're on. Uh, everyone's got access to the same weapons, so you have AKs being fired on the U.S. side all the time. So you, you know, you just assume that anything firing near you is probably, you know, firing at you. Right, right. <laughs> now, Mag has three different factions, and they have separate weapons. Um, however, if you pick up someone else's weapon, I'm pretty sure they might have different sound effects. But whenever you fire, uh, you light up on the mini map. Uh, so I don't think there's any kind of IFF where if you're firing a friendly weapon, you don't light up on the mini-map. Like if, if you steal another faction's weapon and you shoot it, I think you're still going to show up red on their mini-map. But now, actually, that makes me wonder, Jason, because that if I was a game developer, I'd totally do it the way you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, All right, well, I... I am going to ask you, are you ready for a completely random question that has nothing whatsoever to do with, with, with pirates or Battlefield or MAG or anything we've talked about? Yep. 
Okay, this is a little crazy. So uh, what I'm going to ask you is probably going to have a lot of conventional answers that are the same. If, Jason, you go into the drawing for a free game on the platform of your choice, anybody who posts in the thread that has this question as the title also goes into the drawing. But if you post in the thread when you answer the question, among your answer must be something that is unlikely. Now, I realize it's going to be a judgment call on my part, but as long as you post and as long as in whatever the actual answer is, you include something unlikely, you will go into the drawing. Jason, for you, you don't have to throw in anything false or unlikely, but what I want to know from you is, you ready for this? Okay. What's in your pockets? Uh, nothing. <laughs> it's the most boring <laughs> answer ever. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, because we're like sitting down right now indoors doing a podcast, and I, I guess that's going to be a common answer. You know, people like on the th- thread, on the on the forum in their pajamas or whatever. Uh, so nothing in your pockets whatsoever. Yeah, no, sorry, I <laughs> I didn't uh, I didn't head out uh, this morning. So, <laughs> like, I was I had all these chores I was supposed to do and things that I wanted to get done, like you know mow the lawn and stuff like that. And I was like, no, and instead I'm going to sit here for three hours and play pirates. <laughs> so you didn't mow your lawn? So I didn't. I'm just like, okay, crap. I'll just... Yeah, it's, no. So... All right, uh, so you don't, didn't have any in my pocket. I can right. make up stuff. Uh, if you were asked to come up with something unlikely, like if you're like, okay, I'm going to post in this thread and try to get a free game, what would you come up with that's unlikely that you would have in your pockets? Banjo? Very good. That's pretty unlikely. <laughs> I would not even believe that. Uh, all right, good. Well, there you go. You're in the drawing for having nothing in your pockets. Uh. <laughs> and another, I guess, you know, another way to look at it is I took the kind of the most mundane answer out of the loop, so hopefully people will be compelled to. People, actually, there's no rule. You can duplicate other answers, especially in something like this, where that's probably going to be the case for most people. Uh, so... Uh, so you, uh, you didn't mow the lawn. By the way, I just want to say, I miss mowing lawns. Uh, I used to, I, I, I say I loved it. I probably when I was a kid didn't love it. But I love, like, the smell of mowing a lawn and being out in the sun. And uh, I love mowing lawns. Um, no, not so you're not, much. You're not with me on that? Do you, do you use, like, a, a an electric mower? Here's my idyllic memory of mowing a lawn is using one of those hand-pushed mowers with a little cylindrical blades, like on a combine. Uh, like doing that and just the sound of that thing, spinning around, worrying and clipping the grass and, and the <laughs> smell of it and how your tennis shoes are all green afterwards. So I, I'm, I'm idealizing it, aren't I? So we have a really small lawn, and we just moved to the house uh, a few months ago. We just bought our house. And congratulations. Wow, your first house. Double congratulations. And... Um, we got a really small lawn, so we never had a lawnmower before. My wife and I were talking about it. I was like, well, it should buy. And it doesn't really justify, like, an electric or a, you know, uh, power motor of any kind. So I thought, well, let's be environmentally friendly and get one of those rotary push yes. lawnmowers, yes. you know, and do that. And the freaking thing, it sucks so bad. What's wrong First with all, it? Because, one, it costs probably almost as much as, like, a power motor. Really? Come on. I would think, like, 89 bucks for one of those, Yeah. I paid like one ninety, I think. Oh, wow, that okay? Okay, so it's probably a really good one, yeah. Oh yeah, you would think you'd be like, okay, well, <laughs> I, I, it should cut. No, it's it's like 
I don't know, trying to cut grass with, like, two blades that don't really touch each other. So I sit there, and I'm like, it, it takes, like, 15 times more energy to try to cut my small little section of grass. So I keep going back and forth over it, you know, and you, I, I've tried, like, going really slow. Like, maybe it just needs to slowly, you know, and I've tried going back frantically back and forth, like, at a mad pace. Maybe, like, you know, hoping that law of averages will, like, somehow cut the grass and none of that seems to work so right now no not loving the uh the whole combine push mower thing all right well in that case you're on your own because as someone who was all nostalgic about nostalgic about mowing lawns i was going to offer to come over and do it but hey i'm the offer's up well until you get a no until you get a better lawnmower jason you're on your own what you, this is like tip top this is top of the line here apparently this is like you know i think no you just didn't spend enough you, you should have spent twice that for a really good one that's that's i've decided that's what happened <laughs> You need the diamond edge. Right. <laughs> they will cut perfectly. Um, and it's all environmentally friendly. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know what? Points for you there. Good on you. So. Well, Jason, I've really appreciated hanging out with you today. Uh, if anyone, anyone listening, if you want to go in the drawing for a free game, post in the What's in Your Pockets thread and make sure in your post you include something unlikely. Now, if it's completely outrageous like a banjo, that is unlikely. But, uh, you know, extra points, not that I'm scoring this, for something that's unlikely but possible. So I'm just throwing that out there. It could be like a small banjo. You know what? It could. It could. Uh, or you could have really big cargo pants on with those huge pockets. Some of those I've seen, you could put a banjo in, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> so uh, those of you listening also, next week join us. We will have... Jason Cross on, a longtime forum member, also a colleague of mine. He kind of does what I do. Uh, and he is going to be wanting to talk about No One Lives Forever. You, you played oh. Jason? Oh, I, absolutely. One of my favorite games. That Man, that's when Monolith was beautiful. I mean, I, I've it, Monolith still does some great work, but they were just such at the top of their game with those two games, weren't they? That was, uh, I, it was such a funny game, like listening to the... Um, the various dialogues and yeah. henchmen, and absolutely joy to play. Yeah, that's one of those two where as soon as someone mentions it and talks about it, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to reinstall that. <laughs> Actually, it's odd. Yeah, I have it installed. I uh, ended up buying it on uh, Amazon for, like, um, I guess, it seems like they had a, um, what was it, it's probably like an OEM version of it. Some, uh-huh. some person was selling, or some company was selling a bunch of them. So I picked it up for, like, Ten or fifteen bucks because my one, one or two. Uh, number one. Okay. Uh, a lot of folks. I'll be curious where Jason falls on this. Uh, feel that. Well, I say a lot of folks. Maybe I'm just projecting. But uh, there is some debate as to whether or not one is uh, considerably better than the other. Do you have an opinion on that? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I think number one is far superior. Um, I was going to go there as well. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of technology, obviously, number two was, you know, did a lot more things. And there was a wonderful dialogue. I remember number two about uh, Lake Baikal that I recall as being very, very funny and amazing. What was that? What was that dialogue? That was just I, I was some snippet where the guy was talking about Lake Baikal, where you, you land close to the, the Russian lake. Uh-huh. And the guy starts going on and does this kind of monologue about uh, Lake Baikal. And I remember it being funny, though I can't remember what the punchline is. You know, it's so hard to, it can be so hard to make a funny game, can't it? Like, that's such risky territory. Yeah, it's uh, it's very, very rare, actually. Yeah. 
Um, and I think No One Lives Forever was one of the few games that, that pulled it off. And it's still, you go back, and there's still stuff in playing it that I've never discovered the first time. Because if you don't, you know, if you were, let's say, if you were really, really stealthy, you could find a lot more conversations than if you just went in and you, you know, just went with, uh, you know, guns. guns right. Yeah, how many people who just played it as a straight-up shooter missed a lot of its charm? Yeah. And yet the game still played fine either way. You could go in there and just gun the blaze. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You, you play that game and you'd be like, oh, I can't, um, you know, this is a stealth section and I shouldn't allow myself to be discovered. <laughs> and so I go through all these pains of, like, not being discovered. And like, you, it'd be like a five-minute level and I'd spend an hour and a half on it, like, trying to, you know, bypass sensors and stuff. And then only to get discovered right at the end and then shoot everything up and find out, well, I could have just done that. (laughs) Stealth games are really tricky. I'll talk more with Jason Cross about this next week. But, but, uh, yeah, like games like Nolf and certainly the Thief series, like stealth is tough to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't envy a game developer. Stealth and comedy, by the way, when you're trying to do both of those, you're really setting yourself up for a tough challenge, I think. Yeah. So so, uh, everyone listening, join us next week for a little Nolf talk. Uh, Jason, it was so awesome to, to hang out with you. Uh, move, move your wife down to Los Angeles and come join us at a shoe club once a week. Yeah, you would totally fit in with us guys. You know, I've never been to Los Angeles. You know, you're not missing a lot. No, I, can't, I can't believe I said that. It's quite lovely down here, but it's no Bay Area. Uh, I'm afraid you've been spoiled. So, can I ask why you're down there? Oh, good Lord, I moved down here uh, 12 years ago uh, to do the actor thing. Um, oh, yes. And I, you know, I got that out of my system. But uh, I am down here because I have a lot of very close friends here. And because I like the weather, uh, I haven't been diving in a couple of years, but I like, uh, I like the waters out here for scuba diving. Uh, and I love movies so i kind of like being in a town that cares about that industry i mean it's you know movies are everywhere now right i don't know do you (laughs) guys get them in the bay area (laughs) there was one or two they released last they they do come out there oh that's okay (laughs) but there is there is a thing jason about living in los angeles i mean you drive around in los angeles and you'll see every now and then movies being shot or you'll you'll be in starbucks and and there's uh you know paulie shore or something i mean it's just houser yeah, right, exactly. And I, I just kind of love being around that. Uh, so I don't know. You know, I'm fortunate enough that where I, what I do for a living, I could pretty much do anywhere. And I don't know how much longer I'll be in Los Angeles. But for the time being, I, I, I'm content here, uh, even though it's not as beautiful as the Bay Area. Every time I go to the Bay Area, I'm like, wow, who wouldn't want to live here? Uh, but for now, I'm, I'm happy with L.A. I can't believe of all the possible actors that you would, you know, you might meet. <laughs> you picked up on Polly Shore. <laughs> yeah, come come here and Polly Shore. Well, I, I was I was wanting to do it as oh a way of pointing out. I mean, everybody thinks about, oh, if I go to Los Angeles, I might see George Clooney. And yeah, that's true, but you're more likely to see someone who, about whom you could not care less, like Polly Shore. Uh, <laughs> There's Polly Shore over there in the carrot top. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I do. I have to say though, uh, when I, I I enjoy more running into famous, and I say famous in air quotes, people who do like smaller character roles, like 
There's a filmmaker from North Carolina named David Gordon Green, and he did a movie called All the Real Girls, a very small art house movie. And in All the Real Girls, there's a, there's a, a character who plays Patricia Clarkson's husband. Uh, and she's uh, sort of an art house actress, and she's very good. And the guy who plays her husband, I don't think he's been in that many things, but he's got a couple of uh, just beautiful scenes with her, and he's got even more of this. Just, it just makes my heart ache. This scene where he's got a presumably uh, adopted Asian daughter and where she is talking about having a dream in which he died. And it's just this father-daughter scene that's just so touching. And, and this actor was so good with this little Asian girl. And I just remember being in a Starbucks, the Starbucks near where I lived, after I'd seen this movie. And I think he's been in maybe one other movie. I remember being in a Starbucks and seeing this guy a few times. And I just being, just thinking how cool it was that here was this scene that I loved. And I constantly kick myself for having never gone up and saying to him, I really, really liked your work in All the Real Girls. Uh, so that's something that in L.A., that you know, you don't get that in the Bay Area, I guess. Uh, it's just this little cool thing about living in L.A. and being a total movie dork uh, like me. So yeah. Now, do you go up and talk to those people, or do you still? You know what? I don't, mainly because I just... A guy like that, and what's what's bad is he was there with another little girl who I assume was his daughter or something, and I just didn't want to interrupt them. Uh, but I don't for, like, most famous people because I don't want to annoy them. And But the thing is, I know he probably would have been grateful. I Okay, so here's one. Uh, there's a, there's a, a character actress named Beth Grant, and she was in Donnie Darko. She was in uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, she was in a movie called Matchstick Men. Uh, with Nicolas Cage, where uh, Nicolas Cage and his daughter are con men. Uh, and Beth Grant plays a woman who they do a con on. Uh, and she's in this very good scene. And I, I once was in a room with Beth Grant, and I made a point of saying to her, you know, I really uh, I, I enjoy your, your work, and I really, really liked your scene in Matchstick Men, which is completely sincere. I really did like what she was doing. And I just remember how warm she was about me saying that to her. Uh, so every time I don't do it, I wished I had, but a lot of times I just don't really want to annoy people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you, do you ever come like, do you ever come up and talk to famous people you see? No, I don't see famous people ever. <laughs> I guess I, there's people who, I guess, you know, either look for it or just, they, they recognize I'm really, really bad with faces in general. Like I have to you know, work day in, day out with someone for like six months before I can like, okay, you, you're, <laughs> I know you. Oh, you're, you're Steve, all right. Um, and so yeah, just like seeing a movie, and I, I, I might even get sometimes I'd be like, I think I recognize you, and I think you're that person, but I'm always unsure about it. Um, and then a lot of it for me is I don't, I don't care that much about celebrity. Yeah, um, okay. it doesn't impact me, and I don't really pay attention to it. And I think a lot of people pay way too much attention to it. Yep. Um, so. There's a, a writer named Walker Percy, uh, one of my favorite authors. I, I, this guy just meant so much to me when I was like younger and, and uh, reading, discovering like the importance of books. And Walker Percy writes, I, I think it's in the movie goer, he writes about a phenomenon known as, uh, I think he calls it certification. It's this idea that when you see something in a movie or you see a place in a movie, it gives it an additional layer of reality. Uh, and I think that's what happens when people respond to, to celebrities is there's this heightened reality in a movie that 
that, that celebrities and places that you see in a film acquire, and, and people just respond to that. Uh, so, yeah. Well, if you move to L.A., uh, you know, you, you can see people like Paulie Shore. Shore and that guy from uh, All the Real Girls and uh, Beth Grant. So, you know. <laughs> Well, Jason, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Uh, thank you. I could just talk to you for hours. So seriously, think about it. Come down to L.A. Run it by your wife. Uh, I think, does Google have offices in L.A.? They must. Um, don't think L.A. Santa Monica. Oh, then you know what? All of that is L.A. That counts as L.A. Oh, I guess you haven't been down here. L.A. Yeah. Is, is, there's no such thing as Los Angeles, basically. It's a collection. I think someone described it as a collection of neighborhoods in search of a city. Uh, so... Yeah. Everything south of the Bay Area, essentially. Yeah, pretty much, right, right. <laughs> California split into two districts. Right, yeah, you guys up there and then us, right. <laughs> and here's the weird thing. If you go north of San Francisco, the Bay Area, holy cats, there's still a whole bunch of California up there. Who knew? <laughs> I drove up the, co- the coast recently, and you'd figure, okay, you hit the Bay Area, and then what? You're, it's Oregon. What else is there going to be? Geez, a Pete, there's still a whole bunch of the state. What what all's going on up there? What what is up there, Jason? What is all that? Um Yeah, there's a lot of water and outdoor stuff. Uh I've driven up uh, a few times uh up and down the coast. Um and yeah, it's I don't know, just a lot of well, not wilderness is the wrong word, but uh, more kind of natural country. Lord, it goes on forever though. Couldn't they shorten that? <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. Well, Jason, uh, thank you, and I will be uh, seeing you around on the forum. Everyone listening, post in what's in your pockets. Join us next week uh, for Jason Cross. So, uh, Jason, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, Tom. Every day I know the time I'm living It's all right, I'm bound, get around, I get around